My name's Stephen McNulty. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? You're going to get into, out the game where you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. You regret that at oh, all? Yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today, we're talking to Steve McNulty. Fantastic. Nice one, Steve. Um, thanks for your time tonight, mate. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, no problem, mate. Got me out of putting a fence up. I've just balls putting a fence up in the back garden, mate. So, got me out of that, like. <laughs> tactical. That's tactical. Sorry. Turned into the DIY king. All, all again, no idea. To be fair, mate, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, and I've played for Bearscout, Vauxhall Motors, Barrow, Fleetwood, Luton Town, Tramia, and obviously, as I said, now I play for York. So, um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. In the studio, joining me today, as usual, is the effervescent pair of Ryan Pulford and Anthony Olsen. Chaps, how are we? And I can see you just raised your eyebrows slightly at the word effervescent. Are you feeling effervescent today? I'm trying to work out what it means, but I imagine, yes. Yes, effervescent, yeah. Is effervescent like uh, one of them fizzy things? Yes. All right, okay, so I'm feeling fizzy. Mm, Yeah, I'll go with that. You're looking fizzy. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Muzzy fizzit. Ryan, are you feeling fizzy? Um. Yeah, suppose I am. Yeah, nice and bubbly. <laughs> Absolutely lovely. You are obviously sporting an excellent, uh, an excellent dressing gown this morning. So I suppose you could have just exited a bubble bath, but uh, we'll let the listeners come to their own conclusions on that. Uh, today we are obviously talking about someone that we all have uh, great affection for. I, I'm sure I'm correct in saying, and, and all Tramia fans and probably Luton fans and Fleetwood Town fans have great affection for as well. Um, it's Steve McNulty, Tramia legend, captain of uh, two back-to-back promotions. So the first question I'm going to ask you chaps is, what is your favourite Steve McNulty memory? And, and I'm going to come to you first, my friend. Okay, so mine's not really like the the best memory of 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 steve uh, say favorite there probably is more you could choose the the playoff finals and and go with them but i, I thought that was a bit too easy but when he when we played all the shot in the semi-final of the playoffs and i think it was mickey mellon's first season uh it was just a a great day really to be honest i think we went down there the took, coach took ages we took over this tiny little town and I think the pubs weren't even expecting a game to be on. Uh, I think they were rushing around to try and find some cases of Budweiser. I think there was a direct quote of, is there a football match on tonight? Which, to be fair, it was a Wednesday, I think early May, 7 o'clock. Uh, you wouldn't really expect a football match to be on at that time. Um, well, you, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in at this point, and They owned a pub that was about 
two-minute walk from a football ground. And yeah. that football club's biggest match of the season was happening that day, and they had no idea it was going on. Yeah, well, fair enough. We'll I don't know why I'm hammering them, but, you know, <laughs> stop that, defending them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, we got in there, and it was like a proper old-style terrace, and it was just a great atmosphere. And obviously, trying to go out and win 3 0 Places going wild in the away end, and then Steve McNulty introduces us all to to how he does the number three, which um, was was very very interesting. We'll try and put the picture up on social media, um, but it was, <laughs> it was certainly the first time I'd ever seen anyone do a number three that way. Uh, and then it was just it was one of my favourite moments of him because you know he was just he was imperious that day, and he was imperious on the Saturday in the second leg as well. He was. You know, all the shot at the time had some very, you know, good technical players, and, and McNulty pretty much led by example and, and said, "No, you're not doing any of that here." Yeah, um, and it wasn't, you know, kicking people up in the air or, or anything like that. Although I think one of the challenges was was pretty uh, tasty, but it was just it was just how you play centre half at that level and how you play centre half in big games. And you know, we, we've spoken about it a lot. You know, we had you know, we mentioned Ian Goodison a few times and. Often within the game, you had these little moments where it would be striker against defending. It was a match in itself, and there was there was definitely times like that with Steve McNulty, and I think that was why he was so good and why people liked him so much. He had pretty much entertainment, and you'd just get behind it, really, because you had one of these players who would just give everything for you. Yeah. It's not often you have a centre-half that's entertaining to watch if that makes sense it's not often yeah. you go to a match looking forward to watch a centre off and we certainly had that with Ian Goodison for, for the 10 years he was with us and we definitely had that with, with Steve as well like just you'd turn up on a Saturday and, and you'd always know you'd get something different out of them because they were just a step above everybody else on the pitch uh, Ryan same question to you mate what's your favourite Steve McNulty memory well, I feel bad now because Pop called it easy but yeah I'm I did think go... that I thought it was a bit of a dig <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, the League 2 playoff final win uh, because I think it summed up the story of, of Steve McNulty and Tramia Colas brilliantly. He'd been out of the side for a few months. He'd suffered quite a, a nasty injury. And it was a strange season, really, because we started the season with, I think it was McNulty and Monte. Then it became McNulty... Uh, sorry, then it became Ellis and Monte. Then it became Nelson and Monte. And I think McNulty at that time probably thought he'd his time is up. You think he was talking potentially becoming a coach at the club, uh, but we thought his playing days at Tramway were up. And there was one man in the stadium that day that, that wanted to get him on the pitch, and it was Mickey Mellon. And I think it was even to, to McNulty's surprise when he turned around and said, You're on. And not only was it a masterstroke from uh, Mickey Mellon, but it was also just an unbelievable performance from, from Steve to basically come out of the cold in the biggest game of the season in the biggest game in some of those players' lives to date. And he just won every header. He calmed things down. He reassured us. And I think it was a massive turning point in the game, to tell you the truth. And it was quite interesting. I think we had um, Hodgie on one of the episodes and he was mentioning that they, uh, Mickey had Mickey Dimitri at um, Shrewsbury and they knew he had a long throw. And we just weren't dealing with it. We, it was just panic stations every time I came in the box. I remember I was sitting with you boys watching the game and the second one of them long throws came in, sort of post McNulty sub, you kind of just went, oh, we'll be all right here. Yeah, we'll deal with this. Who, yeah, and he, he had this way in McNulty where 
People always said he, he wasn't really quick, but he had a way of getting through crowds, I thought. There could be yeah. six players in front of him, and he'd somehow get to the front of that queue and win the header. He was well, he'd always have, on his feet. He'd always have read it before everybody else would have known where the ball was going. So exactly. he'd, he'd have made that move in his head before other people would have done. Exactly, and I think... As people know who've, who've ever watched uh, McNulty and Luton fans will, will say the same, he was very, very good on the ball as well. He, he, you could tell he'd come through Liverpool. He, he had a, he, he loved a turn on the edge of his own box. He loved spraying <laughs> the ball out wide. So let's not just think all he brought to the game was blood and thunder either. He was just a tremendous player with and without the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as we've said before, for clubs like ours, when we go to games like playoff finals at Wembley, what we want is players who can who can stand up and be counted and, and you know, people who will make themselves known on the pitch. And Steve was definitely one of those players. And I think amongst, you know, some other people that we had at the at the club at the time, Scott Davis, Connor Jennings, uh, Norwood, uh, Andy Cook, Jeff Hughes, players like that at the list, Jay Harris as well. There's people who were who, who would stand up and be counted and, and, and could handle the, the pressure of those big occasions, those two playoff finals. And Steve epitomised that for us for, for two years, uh, and you know, in those two back-to-back promotions. And the, the, the memory that I've gone for is from that same season as the older shot one that you went for, and um, when we played Dover at home on a, I think it was a Friday evening. We were chasing Lincoln. We needed to keep winning. Friday night under the lights at Tranmere. And Dover, I think, were in the playoffs at the time. They were a, they were a decent side, and they had a centre forward called Ricky Miller, who I think scored about forty five thousand goals that season. Um, it was just on fire, and we knew it was basically going to be if we can keep him quiet, we'll get this game won. And about five five ten minutes into the game, he's he's chipping off at the at the ref. He's chipping off at the cop. He's trying to get everyone riled up. And he goes into the channel to chase a ball and McNulty just comes across and just puts man and ball into the stand and just stands up and walks off. Ricky Miller's in a heap on the floor and you didn't see him for the rest of the game. And you just knew we'd won it at that point. And because we had somebody like Steve on the pitch and it was the same for Ian Goodison who we mentioned before, you just knew when they were in that mode, when they were in that mood, that you just weren't getting through them and you knew that you'd win games. So moving on to Steve's interview then, I... We always have a theme. We always have a, a theme, and we're going to let the listeners know what this week's theme is. So, Ant, would you like to tell the listeners what this week's theme is, my friend? Yeah, I'm not going to sing it, so um, I'm just going to say it. Uh, it's uh, Ain't Nobody Like Steve McNulty, and I think we touched on a, on a few things uh, about that bef- uh, just just now. And there really isn't, when you get these players in, in your clubs, you know, even at the top level, you know, with the likes of... You know, going back a, a few years, you know, the likes of, I think it became more of a pair than Real Ferdinand, Vidic, you, you know, you look at Arsenal with Tony Adams and Campbell and, and the likes and, and even Chelsea with John Terry. Those players, there isn't anybody like them. There's no one you can compare them to, really. You can compare them amongst themselves, that's fine, but it's pretty arbitrary, really. It's individually, they are the life of that, that club and yeah. they sit in the spine of those teams and they win those games. And for Tramia at that time, they hadn't had that. They'd just lost Ian Goodison the, the season before. He was coming to the end of his career. And when Steve McNulty came in, everyone's like, oh, that's a good signing. I wonder how that'll go. And he completely changed it. You know, Tramia went on runs of winning games 1-0, which hadn't happened. There was a big turn in, in, in form. And there really isn't anyone like that when that happens. Um, 
and with McNulty, he's done it at so many clubs and for so many years, and he's always been written off because people look at him and go, nah, it's not a footballer. Uh, it's never a footballer in his life. And you joke, and you look at him play the game, you're going, yeah, he, he could do everything. Yeah. Pass, tackle, head, you know, be strong, just nullify a, a good player. You talking about Ricky Miller before, he went to Peterborough the season after. You know, Peterborough, a league one football club. Yeah. <laughs> They're not a, good, not a bad side. So yeah. to mark someone like that out of a game or, or to even compete with someone like that in a game at, at that level, is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, so I think, yeah, there really isn't anyone like Steve McNulty. And I just um, add really quickly on that as well. I just got a vivid memory of when I first saw Tramier come up against McNulty, which was the year we got relegated out of League Two, and he was at Luton at the time. And I remember probably saying to you boys, we're playing into his hands, you need to go in the channels, you need to turn him and this and that. And the fact of the matter is, when he ends up playing for your football club and you see him week in, week out... There's a reason that doesn't happen because he doesn't allow it to happen. Mm. His positioning is so good. And as you touched on before, same with Goodison, he played the tram until he was 40 41. It's not as easy just putting a ball in a channel because the the whole back four was so regimented and so structured under under McNulty that the gaps just didn't appear. Everyone knew the part. And there's a very there was a very good moment in that game, although we got beat by Luton, and you can find it on YouTube, where he intercepts a ball and he runs the whole length of the pitch. And he should be squared for what would be an amazing goal. And the lad, I think, either loses possession or anything. But when we were saying before that he was quicker on his feet than his walk. Find that we'll put a clip up of that YouTube video and just watch him go. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we asked Steve about that as well, and and asked him about the older shot three nil as well there to the crowd. So we that's in the I think that's in the quick fire. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's enjoyable. So we're gonna that's enough from us. We're gonna pass you over to to Steve. You're listening to Man Marking. This is Steve McNulty's interview. podcast being around sort of mental health and just sort of personality within the game can you just give us an idea why you agreed to do an interview with us do you know what it was it was a lad who got talking to um danny danny de brabs yeah. oh yeah so obviously through him i got in contact with you through him he he got in touch with me through i'm doing social media i'm on his instagram and i have friends on and he got he got in touch with me um a couple of months back he wanted me to do a video we were for his fundraising so i've done that and then uh, I went for a walk the other night and I seen him coming out of um, Birkenhead Park and um, about an hour later he texted me and said would would have come on come on the podcast so um, so obviously through Danny you know he's just good to see he's doing great mate you know he's beat beat it a couple of times you know, and he, he looked very healthy to be fair mate which is good so um, you know long may continue for him and you know all the best to him. Yeah, he's um, he's a friend of ours and he's as you say he's quite an inspirational character isn't he? Yeah. One He's probably using up all his favours, though, because he keeps getting people uh, in touch with us. So <laughs> we have to get him a few beers or something after this. Yeah, you know, uh, no, but I appreciate it. Yeah. So just to uh, touch on your, your early days then, coming through as Liverpool's Academy, um, obviously captain some some age groups as well. Um, what was that like at the time? Must have been around some some big characters, some big coaching, uh, former, former ex-pros as well. And just what was the dressing room like at that time? You know, it was good, you know, it was obviously the best time of your life, aren't you? you know, growing up, everyone wants to be a footballer and, you know, I was I was fortunate enough and lucky enough to, to get that chance when you left school that, you know, you was going to go in and do, do a, they turn them into scholarships, not YTSs when I went, so, you know, it was 
you know, a boy or dream of mine. So, you know, I was lucky enough to do it. And, you know, we, we went through for a couple of years and then Gennady Lewis, the manager, and then turned out to be a big French contingent there, you know, and most of, most of the young English lads, you know, got pushed to one side and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's something that you'll never forget, you know, the experience and stuff like that. So, you know, it's good times, you know, nothing there of regret and stuff like that. And, you know, I enjoyed every minute of it. You know, yeah, playing in reserves when I was 16. Back then it was called the Pontons League. So all the pros that didn't play on a Saturday, you know, the, you used to play on a Monday night. And we used to play our home games at, at Southport. Um, so, you know, it was, it was good. You know, got to play with a lot of the first team, you know, you know, big names and stuff like that. So, you know, it was really good and good for my development. That's something that's come up on here a few times. We've had some some ex-pros and current pros sort of in the latter stage of the career, like Jamie Curtin and, and people like that on here and John Mackin. And they said they think the lack of his 18 football these days is a bit of an issue because these lads are just in like a sanitised environment with their own sort of age group, not getting that exposure. Did you enjoy that coming up against men at 16? Yeah, of course I did, you know. I made, I made my debut. I remember we played the uh, uh, Falcons rugby up in Newcastle and played against the Luar and Amiobi and I was 16. And, you know, I think it brings you on. And I just said, the, you know, when Jamie Corton, and I haven't heard it, but I think that's the problem these days. You know, they, they've took the, um, the reserve the reserve league away and um, these, you know, the young lads coming through, they're used to playing under-23s football. You know, there's no tackling, there's no physicality in, in them games. I've watched, I've watched numerous games and then, you know, they come out and try and play against, you know, professionals that have, you know, been applying the trade for 10, 15 years, you know, and f- physically and, and mentally, they just they can't keep up with them because, you know, they're getting their ass wiped, you know, day in, day out. And, you know, they come in, they come into the big bad world and, you know, they just can't do it. I think that's why you know, so many of them fall by the wayside, you know, when when they do finish the, the scholarships and stuff and, and they do get let go. I think that's one of the big reasons why most of them just fall out of football and, and, and never play again because, you know, you go, for instance, if you're at Liverpool 23 and you, you go and try and play for or train with Tramia, Tramia's first team, you know, or York's first team, you've got no you've got no chance, you know, and they're just not. For me, anyway, in my opinion, I just don't think they're up to it. You do get a small minority that can cope with it, you know what I mean? But generally, I just don't think they can. If we use um, like Tramier as an example, just by watching them like down the years, I always find the lads who've come from Everton and Liverpool, unless they've made like like yourself gone and had a career elsewhere, the ones who come younger tend to make it. Like we got Kumas and Parkinson and people like yeah. that when they were like sixteen, and yeah. they're probably in the first team by eighteen. Same with Dale Jennings, but the ones who come in the late twenties who've got like a five year deal at seventeen and then never never got near a first team. To, as you say, tends to be the one who drop out, and you just think it's it's not it's not too late for them. But they're growing up at twenty three when they could be growing up at like seventeen, eighteen, I suppose. Yeah, that's the thing, mate. And you know, a big thing for for them at the minute now is it's the money they're getting paid. You know what I mean? They've just got no, you know, they've got no res- respect for money. You know, they're earning they're earning mega bucks, and you know, the seventeen, eighteen years old. You know, and they're earning ten, fifteen grand a week. You know, and they are going to have a chip on the shoulder, aren't they? You know, and you know, that's probably if, if you if you put your money away wisely, you know, you don't have to. You probably wouldn't have to work again, you know. But these kids are going out; they've got all the money in the world and, and stuff like that. And I think throughout throughout the academies, they should just you know cap it. But and you can only earn so much money. But you know, as coming through as a 
you know, as a professional or a scholar until you've played, you know, a handful of games in the first team and then you can go go on big money. But, you know, the money getting through around now in the Premier League and, and for the young lads is, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's not their fault. You know, if someone comes to you and offers you a five-year deal on 10, 15 grand a week, you're not going to say no, are you? You know, so um, yeah. I think it's just turned into a massive business up there now. Yeah, I think they're, um, they're scared that one will slip through the net, so they just they almost hoard everyone, don't they, with the, yeah. with the chances that they'll get that one. But as you yeah. say, it's difficult because it's not really the players' fault, just the environment. But So yeah. how, how old were you when you left Liverpool? Was you 19, 20 years old then? Yeah, I was 20 when I left, yeah. I left when I was 20. Um, yeah, I just just didn't get off the new contract, mate. Um, just just left and then stopped playing stopped playing for eight, eight to ten months and then, you know, started driving a furniture van for, for a friend of mine. So, uh, I was just driving that full time and then uh, a friend of, friend of mine, Owen Brownie, um, his mate was managing Bears at the time, Mike Marsh, and he phoned me up and they were struggling a little bit and asked me whether to go up and play um, for Mike, so for Marshy and I didn't even have a pair of football boots to be honest with you, mate. At first I said no. I said, I haven't even got a pair of boots and he's like, I'll buy you the pair. He's like, can you do me a favour and go up to struggling? So yeah, I went up to a part-time. I was still driving the furniture van and, you know, I got back into the dressing room and, you know, started enjoying it again. And um, it just, just took off from there again, to be honest with you. So how did how did you take it when you got released? Was it something you saw coming or did you take it quite bad? Or No, it's obviously, you know yourself, you know, as I said, I was there. I was I was in the environment and half expected it, to be honest with you. Um, but, yeah, you know, just took it on the chin, you know, quite a big character and that's so and, and as you said, I could see it coming, you know, with the you know, there's a big French contingent coming in and stuff like that. And um you know, it's just one of them things. It's just football, mate, you know what I mean? You've got there's ups and downs and you've got to take it on the chin and you know and get on with it. But to be honest with you, yeah, when I left there was ITV remember ITV Digital, they yeah they were putting all the money away, they started to get all the games and stuff and they'd just gone bust at the time when I come out and I went and trialed at Berry and Blackpool and places like that. But, you know, back then I was I was earning half decent money as, as a pro at Liverpool. So, you know, when you go there, they were offering you £200 a week, £250 a week because they'd had all ITV money, ITV digital money pulled on them. So, you know, it was just probably weren't worth me while, worth me while doing it, you know. So, um, and I probably fell to love with the game a little bit at that time as well. So, um, I honestly weren't too fussed about whether I played or not, you know. So, uh, ends up to having a furniture van for a couple of years, yeah. Well, I've stood you in good stead anyway for the rest of your career, and it probably give you a newfound appreciation. I imagine later down the years when you when you got back into the, the football league. But was your was your brother and your family like saying, "Go on, stay, take take that deal at Barry or Blackpool"? And were they desperate for you to get back involved, or when when they too fussed, just wanted to do what was best by you? No, to be honest with you, that. They've never ever got involved in any decisions I've ever made. You know, it's you know you obviously do sit down. And you, you know, you speak to your family about things and that. But at the end of the day, my dad was like, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's your decision. You know, you're a man now, so you know whatever you want to do, then you go and do it. So, you know, they've always been very supportive of me, but they've never they've never stuck me stuck the nose in or you know tried to force force a decision on me or force me to do anything. You know, so yeah, I've been quite lucky in that way. So yeah, you know, it's just um. They're very supportive, but you know, they just you know sort of sat back and, and let me make my own decisions. Yeah. 
And so then from from Bersco, you go to to Vauxhalls, was it? And then before moving to Barrow. Yeah, it was funny because it was at Bersco. You know, when you're in the in the um, it was the uni bond then, so you sign non-contract form. So I was going up, and I, I obviously I obviously didn't know how it worked, and then. I heard lads saying, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm on a contract. I'm on a contract and stuff like that." So there was uh, one of the board members. I said, "What?" I went into him and said to him, "Like, why aren't I on a contract back then? If you didn't play, you didn't get paid unless you was on a contract." So you know, I was enjoying it and stuff. I was driving the van, so I thought part time. I'll you know, I'll, I'll I'll sign here. So I said to him, "Well, why aren't I on a contract?" Like he said, "Well, we just didn't think you wanted to be on a contract." I think I was getting paid two hundred pound a game or something like that. You know, so uh, I went in and then. Uh, he said, "Well, you can sign one if you want, but it, it was a bad decision because I just signed a contract in our own brand with the Vauxhall Vauxhall Motors job and wanted to take me there with him. So um, I think they ended up having to pay a small fee to get me out my contract, which you ain't too happy about. Call me every name under the sun for that. <laughs> yeah. Vauxhall's in the Conference North, then were they? Um, yeah, they went from uni. Yeah, I was in the uniform with them, and then the leagues were splitting, and Vauxhall's in the Conference North. Not." Yeah, they might. Yeah, Conference North, it was, mate. Yeah, yeah, because they, they were in there for new machines, weren't they? And then you just they, yeah. uh, just couldn't get the funding to stay there. And I always used to think you think Vauxhalls would just throw a few quid in to keep them going. I think they've they've started again now, working their way up the northwest counties. But it was always yeah. a shame. That was you there with the cup run that they had. No, I went just I went just after the cup run. I went the season after the cup run. Um, so there was still a majority of. Of the players who'd went on that cut run, like Wacker Kumski and um, I'm can't with names, mate. One at Law, I think one at Lawson was there. Karma caught, I think Karma called him to play. I'm not sure yet, but there's still oh, yeah. still a handful handful of players there that did play in the cut run. Yeah, yeah, that that was great. That when he went on that little run, it probably helped them for the next few years as well. Financially, just shows how important the cup is. Like, and then you moved oh, to Barrow, which not easy to get to. Was you commuting there from Liverpool every day? Or every other yeah. day? No, because they were part time, so we used to train on a Tuesday and a Thursday night. So uh, I was at Vauxhalls and I was enjoying it, and Carl McCauley and Gary Martin, they, were, they, they took over from Owen Brown, the manager's job. So um, I wanted to stay, to be honest with you, but then uh, Gary Bress and Phil Wilson was, was managing a battle, and I spoke to them, and they were saying they were going to have a go at getting up into the conference and stuff like that. And Vauxhalls, you know, they probably had more ambition than Vauxhalls, you know, they were throwing more money at it and stuff like that so um, I, I just went and signed for them you know and we had we had two probably two carfuls that went up we used to meet a copy lane on at the bottom of the M57 and two cars we used to only train in, in Wigan or Manchester so uh, or Preston so it weren't too bad and then you just have to drive there for the game on a Saturday So growing up in, in Bootle in the 80s and early 90s a tough working class area especially at the time Think that stood you in good stead to, to get into football mentally and physically. Um, so you know what? It's, it's just a hard one. You know, we just you know you, you was brought up you know on a council estate and stuff like that. But you know, people say you know the best footballs come from these council estates and stuff like that. But you know, I never ever made it to the top. You know, it, it does stand you in good stead. But I don't think it was the area you was brought up. You know, it was tough. It was working class and, and stuff like that. But. I think at the end of the day, I think it's the way you brought up, you know, and that's, you know, that's down to me, mum and dad, that, you know, the way they brought you up and, and the things they instilled in shit and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it was a tough area and, and it was very working class, you know, you know, growing up, we didn't, we didn't have much money, you know, and, you know, me mum and dad had to go out and work to, 
you know, to give us what we wanted and what we needed. You know, there's times when they couldn't give us give us things that we wanted. So, you know, it was tough growing up and and but you know, you you know, you come out of it the other end and, you know, you are where you are today because of, you know, the things you've been through when you're growing up. Yeah, definitely, mate. And I think historically Merseyside has just produced a lot of brilliant footballers and it does seem to have that sort of street football edge to it, like your Roonies and your Gerrards, that that those players who you almost can see them kicking the ball in the street and then be taken onto the pitch, if that makes any sense. But uh, I just feel like it's a it's a hotbed for, for football, Merseyside, and it produces so many good players. And even, as you touched on their players, that were so good, like Gary, most people probably wouldn't even have heard of. Yeah, of course, mate. I just think it's, I just think it's a, you know, for me anyway, in my opinion, like, Scouts have got, like, a different mentality to to other people, you know, you know the video around South, I, you know, I think the soft and stuff like that, and I think, like, you know, they're a lot tougher and stuff down here, you know. But I've, I've scouted in my team. You know, everywhere I've been, you know, I've, I've said to people, like, you know, when I was down at Luton, you know, John still he spoke to him. He was like, you know, we need to get some scouts in the team and and stuff like that. You know, I always think they go places and do well and, you know, they can toughen your team up. Yeah. So, so where was your first full-time gig then? Was that at Fleetwood? Yeah, I was at Fleetwood, yeah. I signed for Fleetwood from Barrow and... Um, we were in the conference north, and <clears throat> sorry, there was tra- talk of them going full time, but a lot of us had jobs and stuff like that. And but if Mickey was the manager at the time, and Andy Pilly, you know, he wanted to take the club forward and go full time. So that was my first, first um, full time contact, you know, since I've been out of Liverpool. Yeah, was it a no brainer for you at the time to give up your job and go full time, or was it did you have to think about that? Well, at the time, you know, it was, I, I did that, I was thinking about it because, um. You know, I was driving a furniture fan, you know, I was earning X amount of money. So I was taught, you know, when you was going in to negotiate, well, I was saying to them, well, I'm earning this money from driving the van. So, you know, you just need to make that money up. And then, um, you know, we sort of met in the middle. They were saying that, you know, we're not going to pay you all your money you was, you was earning when you was driving a furniture van. So um, in the end, you know, I just thought I'd give it one last crack. You know, I was, I was enjoying it and stuff like that. So. Um, I thought, you know, I'll give it one one last crack and, and go full time, yeah. And it proved a good decision. It was uh, <coughs> some side you had for that level, and I know you went up the leagues pretty quick, but um, must have been an enjoyable time, especially that conference year. When uh, how many points did you get? It was over 100? 101, I think it was, yeah. 101, yeah. I think Rex, Rexham had 98 as well, or something stupid like that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> finished yeah. second and didn't go up, did they? No, they didn't, no, no. Yeah. And how did, how did you find that transition then into full time training every day and all that? Did you did you prefer it? Yeah, as I said, growing up, that's you know that's all you want to do, you know. And everyone wants you know you speak to every kid and that they want to grow up and be a footballer, you know. So um, the transition was fine, you know. I'd, I'd done it before and stuff like that, so it was nothing that I didn't know and and stuff like that. So transition was quite easy, you know. Body ache for the first first couple of months getting back into it, but after that, I was fine. Yeah, um, and as you've gone up the leagues, you've had more promotions than most footballers. What sort of like the difference in mentality you saw between the levels? Is there much difference in the dressing rooms as you go from sort of that Bersco level to the football league, or is there actually not that much in it? Um, I think mentality wise, there is, you know, the gap between it and, you know, ability wise. <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, ability wise, I don't think. You know, there's much difference, but I think it's a bit more of a mentality thing for me. You know, you've got to be a lot stronger men- mentally, you know, because you're going to have um, a lot of knockdowns and stuff like that. But 
Um, yeah, I don't think it's ability. I think it's more a mentality thing. Yeah. And um, then you you arrive at Luton, obviously. Although they have never really had that, a big stadium at the time, a massive club, take big followings everywhere, great great attendances in the conference and a lot of pressure on that side to do well, wasn't it? Similar to your time at Tramier, I suppose. Yeah, it was a massive club. You know, Mickey got sacked. We were sitting, not sure, there's second in the league or in some sort of um, playoff position. And we were in League Two and Aldershot come and beat us in the FA Cup. And uh, my dad come to watch me at the game and then we went back to, uh, he said, we'll go, go and have a pint on the way home. So I said, fine. So we went to the local pub and Sky Sports News was on, and then across the bottom in yellow, it come up like Mickey Mellor being sacked by, by Fleetwood Town, and then my phone went, and I was in, and said he sacked me, like, you know what I mean, which was, which I couldn't believe, but um, then Graham Alexander come in, and um, he just said, you know, you, you're a big character, you're in the dressing room, and stuff like that, I want to, I want to go my own way, and stuff like that, so he said, you'll never play for me, and then, uh, I was going to sit my contact out, to be honest with you, I just thought, you know, well, I just sit my contact out and then see what happens in the summer. But um, on transfer deadlines, I looting at being in touch. I didn't. I, I've never ever had an agent. It was through. I called Andy Taylor. Uh, I don't know how they got in touch with him, and I knew Andy through a mutual friend. And he phoned me and said, "Looting, what Luton want to take you? Treat you on loan till the end of the season." So um, I ummed and hard because you know, it was down south and stuff like that. So, but in the end, you know, I ended up going, and it's probably one of the best decisions in my career to be honest with you because. I loved it down here. It was a massive club. Uh, played some great football down here. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And how did you, how did you deal with it off the pitch, being sort of down down south and just a different environment? Because obviously there's, the football's going well, but a lot of your time would be obviously either at home or wherever you were staying. Yeah, it was tough, you know, for the first year. Well, for the last second half of the season, I think I went there and, uh, whatever day, January, 1st of January, something like that, around that time, or when the window shut. You just live in a hotel, you know, you're going training and and you're going back to your hotel room and not moving out to the hotel room. You know, it's very lonely and, you know, it's just, you know, me- mentally hard, mentally draining. You know, it's um, it's tough. And then, you know, I had a young family at the time, so every time you can, you know, you're, you're up and down a motorway and stuff like that. But, you know, it's tough, but, you know, I'd like to think, you know, I'm, I'm mentally strong and stuff like that. And, you know, I was enjoying the football, so so that helped. But, you know, you go through weeks or days where, you know, it's all right and, and you're fine. But then, you know, you do you do go on a bit of a downer, you know, you're in a hotel room on your own and there's only so much telly you can watch and stuff like that. But, um, you know, at times it was tough, but, you know, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. It's one thing we've, we've covered quite a lot in the podcast with players who've said, like, it gets glamorised being a footballer all the time and of course we'd all like to be footballers and play the game but you don't see the difficulty and the pressure on the families to you could have your kids settled in school or whatever and then you, you suddenly have to move 200 miles away it's a big ask isn't it but I suppose if you want to be a footballer as you said you've got to maybe just bite the bullet and do it and as long as it's paying off on the pitch at least you're getting some reward for it yeah, of course. You know, obviously, I went there on loan, and so I, I'd only signed for like six months or to the end to the end of the season. So, you know, you, you was never going to move your family and stuff down there, you know, because you didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the season. And obviously, they didn't know whether they want to go up or stay down. And they, they'd only take me on loan to the end of the season. So, um, you know, it's a tough decision, but you know, it, it all worked out fine. And fine in the end, you know, I went down there, and we were we were quite successful and stuff like that. So, um. You know, you just you live and die by your decisions, you know, and that was a good one for me. 
You um just to touch on uh, the whole Graham Allen situation, Graham Alexander situation. Um, obviously you're known as a, a leader everywhere you go. You wear the armband at a lot of clubs. And what was that? What was that like to have the managers almost saying he doesn't want you in there because you are a big character, which you'd think you'd want big characters. Do you think he was scared that you'd almost undermine him, or the players would listen to you over him? What do you think his thinking is there? I don't know. You know, there's only him that can answer that. Obviously, you know, I, I was a big character in the dressing room, and then. You know, he was captain and that there, and um, you know, he just he fed me a lot of lies and bullshit over me. Honestly, you know, he just he took me in and then told me this is going to happen and that's going to happen. We're going to get you paid up and stuff like that. But he never come to it. You know, I don't know if he did see me as a threat. You know, but um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've never, you know, you can ask any man you've ever played for. You know, I've never stepped out of line. You know, I've always gone there. You know. And, you know, I've always give me all. So it would have been no different playing under under him. You know, I'd never undermine him or or go behind his back or get anyone to turn on him. You know, at the end of the day, you're there to do a job, you know, to the best of your ability, you know, and that's what I would have done for him. But, you know, he had other ideas and and other ways he wanted to go, which which is fine, you know, at the end of the day, that's football and you know, you've got to you know, you've got to live with that and and accept it, you know, and I, and I did, which was fine. It was just just probably all the bullshit that come with it, you know, that I don't like. I just like someone to be straight down the line with me, you know what I mean, saying this is how it's going to be and th- this is it. But, you know, he dragged his ears about getting me paid up and then he was dragging their ears about letting me go on loan to, loan to Luton, you know. But, um, you know, there's only him that can answer, answer, answer that question really, isn't it? You know, I've obviously got my, my views on it, but, you know, there's only him that could answer it, honestly. Yeah, that's right, that, I suppose. And, um it obviously worked out well for you, which was good. And then after a successful spell at Luton, you you come to Tramier, and obviously you played for Mickey before. But was you signed under Brabham? I was, yeah. Brab signed me, yeah. yeah. Brabs and Paul Carden signed me, yeah. They um they spoke to me in the summer, but we're just being promoted at Luton, or just missed out in the playoffs, had me, and um, we're in League Two. So uh, they spoke to me in the summer about coming back home, and at the time I was enjoying it down there, and you know, I was playing well. I just got in PFA play um, team of the season stuff, so it was like, you know, it's a big decision to leave now. While you know, while you're playing well and you've got good form, so um, I just said some thanks, but no thanks. You know what I mean? And then in the end, um, halfway through the season, you know, things had changed at home. You know, I had a little girl and she went well or needed to get home. You know, so um, he spoke to me again and you know ended up signing. And how did they, well, Luton obviously reluctant to let you go, but on a personal level, sort of didn't stand in your way? No, it was John Stills at the time, and I only had one conversation with him. I told him what had happened back home, and I, need, I, I felt like I needed to come back home. It was the right time to do it. And to be fair to him, you know, he was a man of his word, you know, within an hour. I'd spoke to Brabs, and, and uh, Brabs had spoke to John Still, and honestly, within an hour, he was great. You know, the, all the forms were signed, and... He phoned me, told him to, to meet him at the ground, and you know, all the forms are signed. So I was on a Friday night, yeah. So yeah, he was great with it. You know, he understood. He was a family man himself, and yeah, you know, you know sometimes you know there's more important things than football. And at the time, I just felt that you know I had to put the family first and come home, and that's what I did. Definitely, mate. It's good that there was a manager there that that saw that human side to it, and and obviously made it as easy as possible. And, I suppose your time at Luton, probably similar expectations when you join Tramier, isn't it? Club that doesn't feel they need, they should be at that level. And uh, ultimately, um, 
like you probably saw when you first joined, there was quite a bit of a toxic environment at Tramia, completely different to by the time you left the club. What what was that like when you first came in? No, I was all right with it because, you know, obviously I knew that you was going going to another massive club, you know, similar to Luton had been out the league for, you know, for a number of years and probably the club's too big to be in the conference and, you know, I knew I was going to go over there and there was always going to be, you know, massive expectations of you personally and as a team. So, um, you've gone there, you know, and it was very toxic, but, you know, it's the same at Luton and, um, you know, you're going to go to big clubs, you know, you're going to be under pressure and there's always going to be expectations on it, you know, and, I thrive on stuff like that, you know, and um, you know, lucky enough, you know, in the end we we to get a good side together and, you know, we got through the leagues. Yeah. Momentum seems to be everything in football and we had so many years of Trammy with negative momentum. Sometimes just gotta steady the ship, but when we got going, uh, so I don't think Brabham did a particularly bad bad job to be fair, and he signed a lot of the lads who went on to be brilliant players for the club, but Sort of saw a bit of a difference when Mickey came in, just got that little bit more out the squad. Was you made up with not to see Brabham go, but haven't played for Mickey before when you saw he was going to replace Brabham? Was that something you were you were happy with? Is, did you have a good relationship with him? Yeah, I've always had a good relationship with him. You know, it was obviously it was similar to when he was at Fleetwood when Brabham got sacked. You know, I was disappointed that he didn't get more time. You know, but obviously it's always better for yourself if you do bring a manager in that you know you have played for played for before and he knows you as a player and you know and as a person so um you know it's better someone someone you know and coming in and someone you don't know and when he did get sacked I was thinking oh here we go it's Fleetwood all over again but you know Mickey ended up getting a job and you know and it took off from there yeah and put some runs together I think we didn't quite get the 98 or 96 points that uh Wrexham got but I think we must have got 93 or 94 that year Lincoln won the team to be every week we'd win and they'd score in the last minute, and we were just like, fucking hell. But um, what was that first playoff defeat like? Was that hard to pick some of the lads up? I know mentally you're quite tough, but there seems to be a bit of a hangover the next season, and a lot of the lads still sort of licking the wounds a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, it's always going to be tough. It's probably the way, you know, well, not probably, it is the worst day in my career, my old career, you know. So, um, you know, it was a hard one to take for myself, and, you know, I like to think that I'm, I'm quite mentally strong and stuff, and, but. No, I took it really bad, you know, and it did hurt me. But as far as a hangover the next season, I don't think so. I think it's just, you know, we just we just didn't hit the ground running. You know, we started the season sloppy and stuff like that. You know, it took time for, for some of the players to get going and stuff like that. But we were still, with, with the bad start, you know, we were still always confident that, you know, we could go on and, you know, have a chance of still winning the league and stuff like that. So, you know, we never doubted ourselves or once panicked, you know. But, you know, lucky enough, we got in the playoffs, you know, and we won it that season. Yeah, and what a, what a way to win it as well. Um, and then, obviously, we get into to League Two. When we first got into League Two, I, I almost thought that there's no reason we couldn't sneak into the playoffs, but you, until it happens, you're never going to assume it is. What were your sorts of expectations going into that season? Because we clearly had lads good enough to play at that level, um, but still, what an achievement to, for back-to-back promotions. You know what we didn't we didn't really sit down to start the season and put any expectations on it. You know, we I think everyone at the club were just you know, was just happy that to be back in the league, you know, and as a group of players, you know, we were just happy that, you know, that season that we did we did win the playoffs and we did get them back in the league. So I don't think there was there's many expectations on us, you know, but you know, we was quietly confident within within the group that, you know, if we if we did put a good run together, you know, there was a chance that we could we could sneak in the playoffs, you know, but 
you know, we didn't sit down and say, this is a must, you know what I mean? I think we were just, you know, we speak to the fans and, and other people connected to the club. They'd have been just happy to, to consolidate that season, do you know what I mean? And, and stay back in League 2, but, yeah. um, you know, we did put a run together at the end, you know, and sneaked into the playoffs and then, um, you know, we went on to win it. I, I think looking back, though, I think, you know, it's great. For me, it's great, you know, because I, I went I left on a high, you know, and we went up to League 1 and left, but, I think you look back the way they struggled and, and stuff like that now in League One. I think they'd have been better consolidating for for another couple of seasons in League Two. You know, maybe getting you know a bit more money behind them and stuff like that, and building building you know getting better players in and stuff like that. I think you know you can't go up too soon when you haven't got the backing and the funds behind you to to go on and challenge in League One. You know, because it's it is a tough league and stuff like that. So you know, maybe maybe it was too soon for for, for the club to go up. You know, because. You know, Mark and, and Nicola were trying to do stuff behind the scenes with the club to make them, you know, more sustainable and stuff like that and, and try and get more money through the club. So, um, maybe it was a bit soon for them to go up, you know, back-to-back promotions. But um, I don't think you ever want to turn a promotion down, are you? That's the thing, isn't it? Like, if it presents itself, then you just got to take it and be happy. And do you know what? If you yo-yo for a few years, it's one of them for them. The fans can't, can't really moan at that because... I mean, that group of players that first came in, say, three years ago, that core, they've, they've ultimately put us in a much better place than where they found us. And I think as fans, you can't really ask for much more than that. And that week two season, although Norwood scored all them goals and what a player he was, it was actually built on clean sheets. A lot of 1-0 wins in there, wasn't there? And uh, even that performance at Wembley <clears throat> against Newport, like again, just solid back four. And then you, I think you came on, was it the 70th or 80th minute? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was something like, like that, yeah. yeah. And I don't think you missed the header. I'm not just saying it because we're speaking to you now, but it's um, it was just a team with a hell of a lot of character from front to back. Lads who were going to fight for each other and it was just enjoyable to watch as well, more than anything. Yeah, I know, yeah. You know, it was, you know, it was a great day. It's funny because you laugh. It, it's funny because, speaking to my missus about now, I didn't realise it happened, but uh, I was sat on the bench and I was just talking to someone and then my missus was sitting behind me and, Jacko or Mickey had pointed and I'm like I'm sitting there saying who me you know because I haven't played for so long and stuff like that you know I thought I'd just go there and sit on the bench and I won't come on and stuff like that but you know it's just one of them things yeah but you know we had a lot of you know big characters in the team and stuff like that you know it was a great day all around you know everyone played the part and you know it was obviously you know a great day for the club but it's funny you say it and it's like you do get promoted to League One you say oh the fans will be happy and stuff like that but you go up, don't you? And then every fan's got expectations, you know. And then you know it's been a tough season for them. But you know, you know, you know, what fans are like they're like, no, we want to be higher up the league and stuff like that, you know. And it's tough on the team, isn't it? You know, and tough on the club. But yeah. you've spoken in in the past about um, maybe when you were in your your sort of your early twenties, maybe not looking after your your physicality, maybe as well as you did in your later career. Do you ever um, do you ever have any regrets about that? Um. I think you look back at me career now. I don't. I don't have any regrets. You know, every decision I make, I, I stand by, and you know, I'm a big believer. in, you know, everything always happens for a reason. You know, it was like probably when I left Liverpool. You know, that's when I did pile a bit more, bit more weight on. You know, you're driving a van, you're sat in your ass all day. You know what I mean? Driving around, delivering vans and that, and then you know, it was just it just snowballed from there. You know, after work on a Friday, you was going out for a pint and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think you just got in bad habits. Do you know what I mean? So, um, you know, that was the that was what happened. That's what was happening. At, you know, in that part of my life, you know, I was driving a van and I went playing football and, you know, it was just, 
you know, being one of the lads and stuff like that. So, and then when it does get back serious, you know, it's, it, it is, I did find it hard to lose the weight and that stuff again. But no, you know, I never have any regrets. You know, every decision I've made, I make and I could stand by now, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's one of them, isn't it, really? Because obviously for yourself, you're, you're obviously known as being a, you know, like a big lower league centre half. And I think the perception of what people expect from you as a player is often like, massively different when they see you play have you ever had um i suspect that over the years you, you you've had different kinds of shouts and stuff from from the crowd and that sort of thing have you ever had any any trouble kind of adjusting to that when you first started playing no not really you know i've had right the way throughout my career and stuff like that so um there's not and i've never been called or or, or you know people shout at me so um no it's never bothered me to be honest with you you know it's you know, I just I keep going back. You know, I'm a big personality and a big character. So I'd sooner them be shouting stuff to me than and leaving the other lads alone. That you know, maybe can't take it. And you know, the crowds do get on people's back and they do go in the shell and they do go missing. So um, it's never bothered me to be honest with you. No. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things, I suppose, isn't it? You probably wouldn't have had as successful a career as you've had up to now if if that type of thing had bothered you. I suppose. No, because you're just gonna hide, you know, and, and gone into your shell and. You know, not saying up, you know, but as I say, it's never bothered me. You know, you get you get more abuse of these other, like lower league grounds. I find, and you know, when you was in in League Two and stuff like that, it's the lower league grounds when there's only fifty or hundred people watching. You, do you know what I mean? That you get you get more abuse. I don't know if it's because you can hear it more than more, but um, yeah, you know, just get on with it, mate. You know what I mean? You were talking there, Steve, about kinds of. Um... You know, maybe you know being happy to take some of the the stick and the shouts and stuff because you you know you're happy to take it and maybe leaving some of the other lads alone. And you've been a a captain at pretty much every club you've you've played for and a successful one as well. Do you think that type of sort of leadership is is something that you're born with, or is it something that you you learn and you pick up as you as you go through life? Yeah, I don't think you're born with it. I just think it's. You know, it's situations that happen in your life, and you know, you obviously build build your character throughout your life with stuff that happens, you know, throughout your life. So, um, I don't think it's born into you. Do you know what I mean? I just think, you know, it's something that you grow into. You know, you know, I, you, I've always signed for clubs, and I've never been captain, but for some reason, I've always en- ended up captain. Do you know what I mean? But, um, I don't know. You, you know, just you just, I, I think I was just a, a winner more than anything. Do you know what I mean? So. You know, people look at you, and people can feed off that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why you. You probably have to ask, you know, the managers that you played under. What, why did they make you the captain? Do you know what I mean? But um, for me, I was just, I was just a winner. You know, and when you went on the pitch, you know, I do anything, uh, anything to win. You know, and I'd expect, you know, the other ten people that were going across the line with me to to be exactly the same. And you know, I'd like to think that, you know, when I was the captain, I, I did try and get the best out of them, and you know. I did try and instill that into them. That um, it, it's interesting you mentioned that about being a winner, Steve, because it's something that that you hear a lot from from players, and, and particularly sort of pundits and stuff. You know, ex players talking about you know why ex player made it or ex player didn't make it, and that type of thing. What what do you think it is that what that defines someone that that's a winner? You know, what what type of characteristics is it? And can you tell that from someone when you with them in the dressing room? Like this person's, I can see it in them or. Is it is it a little bit more complex than that? <clears throat> I think it's a bit more complex than that. You know, I'd sooner take ten ten winners on the pitch with me than you know ten ten other lads that have got more ability more ability than them. Do you know what I mean? I think 
I think you can teach ability. Do you know what I mean? But I don't think you can you can teach being a winner. Do you know what I mean? I think it's either it's either in you or it's not in you. Do you know what I mean? But I think where where is the skill part of it? You know, you can always work on that day in day out, and you can become a better footballer. But you know, I think it's hard to work on on someone's mentality and and trying to get them to be a winner. And in terms of when you were, a, you know, as a captain, Steve, what type of captain are you? A shouted arm around the shoulder, lead by example. What type of the captain do you do you try and be? Do you know what? Just just a fair and firm one. Do you know what I mean? You, you know, you've got to look throughout the squad. You know, there's people react react to different things in in different ways. So, um, you know, some people you get the best out of them if you do shout at them, and and you know, other players that they need an arm put around them, and then. You got other players that you don't even need to speak to, so you know each play is different. Do you know what I mean? You've just got to get to know them and and know how to get the best out of them. Do you know what I mean? And then you know that that's that's all you can do. You know it's like Nose. He needed the arm around him. You know you shouted at him plenty of times. Like, but he you know he, he reacted better if you did put an arm around him. Do you know what I mean? But then mm. like to Jay Addison uh, and Scotty and and Sutty. Do you know what I mean? You get more out of them if, if you shout at them. Like you know what I mean? And then. You got you like to play like Jeff Hughes that you just did never have to say anything to. Do you know what I mean? So, I think each player is different, and you know you've got to approach approach the situation and you know different ways to, to different different players. Did you find that was um, almost like a really important role for you as a as a captain? You know, same as now at York to kind of be that that person who you know, as you say, you know, Norwood might need an arm around the shoulder, Jairus might need shouting at someone else might need a little chat or did you just feel like that was part of your role to kind of feed on those personalities and make sure that, that everyone felt included in the right way? Yeah, you know, I think any club, to be successful at any club, you know, you need to have a, you know, run a tight dress room and, and I'll keep everyone in line, you know, and and that's what you did try and do, do you know what I mean? It's it's just um, keeping everyone in check and, and having the same goals and, you know, wanting to get promoted, do you know what I mean? It's just, you know... I've been in dressing when you know you've had plays that just don't want to be part of it and stuff like that. But you just gotta, you know, weed them out and push them to one side. You know what I mean, and not let them disturb disturb the rest of the dressing room because you have weak characters in the dressing room, and if one person's acting up, you know they can rub off on you know on other players and stuff like that. So you just gotta keep a tight dressing room and you know, everyone pulling the right direction. Yeah, I think that feeds into what Ryan was was alluding to before about sort of momentum and stuff, isn't it? And keeping positive momentum. Um, you're obviously, I think, from the outside looking in, you're probably more of a quieter character, maybe off the pitch than you than you are on it. And it seems as though you've you, you you've kind of maybe not been in the in the in the spotlight as as much as maybe some other players have. Do you, is that kind of been like a conscious decision that you've made, or is it is that just kind of your personality? No, I'm just quite a private person to be honest with you. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, it's very rare that. I go on podcasts and stuff like that and, and talk about things. You know, people do phone you up and, and want you to do, like, interviews and talks and stuff like that. But, you know, it's very rare I will do them. You know, as I say, I'm a, I'm a quite a, I'm a private person. You know, I don't like, you know, I don't like anyone know, knowing any of my business and stuff like that. So, not that I've got anything to hide, but yeah, just private, mate. I'm just private person, you know, family. You know, it's just, you know, missus and stuff like that. I just like to be quiet and have a quiet life. Is that him? Um... Is that hard to do as a as a professional footballer? No, you know, as you said, some people do like it, you know, and they want to be, they want to talk to talk to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, you know what I mean, about how good they are or or how crap they are, or you know, <laughs> the goal he scored, you know, last week and stuff like that. But you know, that's not me. You know, I just like to, 
you know, play the games, go and do your job and then, you know, come home and, you know, spend time with the missus and the family, you know. Yeah, it's um it's, I suppose it takes up lots of different different personalities to make up the game, really. Um do you think you you sort of you're almost coming to your own then when you're in that football environment and that you know, you, you you're able to, to, to be that big character then? Um do you know what, I don't know about coming to your own, it's just it's something that I've always enjoyed well, not always, something that I I enjoy doing, do you know what I mean? It's just like, it helps me, you know, people go, you know, about being a professional footballer, but I say this all the time to people, you know, if you had me time again, I'd probably, I'd probably try and get some sort of trade behind me or, or I'm going to say degree, but I probably weren't clever enough to get a degree, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because when you finish, when we finish playing, you know, you're not going to earn enough money just to do nothing after, after football, do you know what I mean? So, people ask me about things, about advice and that, I say, you know, Try and get something behind you, and then have a crack of football. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you know, it's it is it's tough. Do you know what I mean? But um, you know, I, I'm enjoying it more now. But there's like in the middle part of my career, you know, it's it's like you just you're doing it because you're all right at doing it. Do you know what I mean? You're right at doing the job, and it pays good money. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's later on in life that you know you you enjoy it more, and you know that you know you've probably only got two or three more years left of doing it. So, um. You know, you start to appreciate it a bit more, yeah. And in terms of obviously, as Ryan mentioned, this the podcast is kind of born out of a an idea to try and sort of encourage, kind of encourage men to to get more comfortable talking about mental health and that sort of thing, and and hopefully using kind of football as the vehicle for that. Because you know, as I'm sure we're all aware that the most 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 men in this country, a lot of men in this country, go to football and and use it as a you know, a tool to kind of express their emotions. As someone in in your position, Steve, it's like a, you know, as we say, a centre half and a in a you play for sort of lower league football, and and you know that's a very sort of masculine environment. Do you ever feel like a bit of a a pressure to to kind of be the Steve McNulty big centre half that, that that you are on the pitch? Um, you know, it's different, isn't it? You you put on like a you know, you, you can put up a shield and stuff when you go in, you know what I mean, and, and you're acting. You just don't want to, you don't want to come across as being being weak in, in, you know, in that environment because, as you said, there's, you know, there's so much testosterone flying around and stuff like that and the last thing you want to do is just come, come across as being weak, do you know what I mean? But I've always had this thing, like, I'm mentally strong and nothing will ever bother me or, or, get, to me, or get to me, do you know what I mean? But there's the, the, the year... It never happened to me before, and I come out the team at Tramia, and I didn't play. I didn't play, or I couldn't get back in the team because they'd gone on a good run. Do you know what I mean? But it was like I was coming home, and I was in a bad way, and I kept saying, saying to me, Mrs. Like I'm done. Like you know what I mean? I'm I'm done. Do you know what I mean? It was that like it was that screen that I was trying to put up in front of myself. You know what I mean? Instead of you know getting back in there and and trying to. You know, me to head on, and it was only here that talked me round. I was saying to her, like, end of the season, I'm done, like, I'm not playing again, like, you know what I mean? And it was here that talked me round, but you say, you know, I, I'm the same, you give that you give that persona off, don't you? Like, I'm, you know, I'm invincible, and, you know, like, nothing can ever bother me, and, and stuff like that. And people look at you, you know, I know lads that you look at, and, you know, for one minute, you wouldn't think, ah, oh, he's weak mentally, but, you know, there's there's a lad at Morecambe that, I've played against for years and he's one of the toughest players I've ever played against and he won't mind me mentioning Carvelli, you know what I mean? And yeah. you know, he su- he suffered, you know what I mean? And you go home and suffer in silence. That that's the thing, you know, which is 
know, I come home and I was all right because I, I spoke to my missus about it and stuff like that. And I was here, that talked me around and, and kept me on a level, play, a level playing field. Otherwise, you know, I'd, I'd have went by me, like, because I was at, at a stage in my career where things like that had never happened to me. I'd never gone so long without getting back in the team or not playing so many games, do you know what I mean? So, you know, I've just got to be thankful that, I've, you know, I've got good people around me, you know what I mean, to can, you know, keep me on a level playing field. And in terms of the football club, because I remember that 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 period of time, because it was it was quite strange to see a Tramia team line up without you in it, Steve. To be honest with you, because we we become so used to you you being in the side every week, and and I can imagine that must have been really difficult for someone who's always been, you know, such an important figurehead in the team. In terms of the the club, was there ever any anyone you felt as though you could say, look, I'm finding this quite difficult, or was it almost, as you say, one of them where you just you you couldn't you didn't want to you know come across as weak at all. Now, for me, it's come across by a question answered answered before. It's like it went more that I I probably would never speak to anyone at the club about it because I'm so private and and stuff like that. It's, I'd never go to someone at the club and say I've got this problem and that problem. You know what I mean? I'd I'd bring her home with me and and speak to me missus about it. You know what I mean? I'd never go to go to a club go to the club and speak about it. But it was the same with that. You know, I'm quite. I bottle everything up, do you know what I mean? It's it's only lately, you know, I split up with my ex missus and, and I've got a new missus now, and it's only lately since I met her that I do come home and I, I do speak to her about everything, you know what I mean? I used to bottle bottle everything up and she'd say, what's wrong with you, what's wrong with you, do you know what I mean? And at the time, you feel you're weak if you bring her out and you speak to them about certain things, do you know what I mean? But um, it's good to talk and it's good that I have got someone that I can talk to and talk to them about anything now, do you know what I mean? And, you know, as you say, it, it's better to get it off your chest and, you know, with fester up inside your brain and you overthink things, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's, um, you know, there probably was someone at the club, club I could have talked to or gone to, but as I said, I'm, I'm a private person and, you know, I bought it on with me and um, and spoke to the missus about it. You, you sat, from what you were talking about before, Steve, sounds like you've got quite a, quite a, a kind of close-knit family. You, you said you were a from your upbringing, from your mum and dad and your, your brother and what have you, is that, is that the case? Is that sort of something that's been that's been helpful for you in your career and, you know, when you've had downs? Yeah, of course, yeah, you know, it's quite a big family, do you know what I mean? But it's the same again, you know, it is, it's not that I can't go to my mum and dad and speak, speak to them about anything, we are a close-knit family, do you know what I mean? But, you know, you know what it's like yourself, you know, I'm the same, you bottle everything up, do you know what I mean? But, you know, you, you could go to them with, with anything, do you know what I mean? But, as I say, you know, I'm just—I was one of them people that just used to bottle everything up. Do you know what I mean? And there's probably times when I needed to go and, when I was younger that I needed to go and speak to them about things. Do you know what I mean? And, and I never would. And looking back, you know, you think you know you're stupid. Do you know what I mean? You've had to go and deal with that yourself, or or you know what I mean, or you know get on with it yourself when you could have spoke to someone. Do you know what I mean? But um, it is tough. But they have always been there for me, you know, and, and helped me out right the way throughout my career. And you know, I wouldn't be where I was today without, without them, do you know what I mean? My mum and dad couldn't drive, we didn't have much money and, you know, we used to stand at the bus stop and, you know, we had to get the bus to... My dad used to get him from work and we had to go straight around the bus stop and get the bus up to up to West Derby to Melbourne to, to go training and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I've got a lot a lot to thank, to thank the both of them for, yeah. And in terms of kind of looking forward to maybe in the next few years, maybe you might you might do a Jamie Cure and go another 10 or so and... When your career finishes, have you got any any thoughts on what you're going to do after after you you finish playing, Steve? 
Yeah, I want to stay in the game. I want to manage. I want to manage. Do you know what I mean? Um, so you know, I think of you know, I've been, I've had like a career, you know, where I've started at the bottom and I've got it back into the football league. I've been through an academy situation, and you know, I've been you know quite success successful throughout my career. And, you know, I just think I've got a lot to give back, and it's something that I've always spoke about doing and wanted to do. Do you know what I mean? So, um. You know, I know it's it's not it's not as easy as just saying I want to be a manager when you finish playing. You know, it's just you know you got to be in the right right place, at the right time, and have someone to give you that opportunity. Do you know what I mean? So you know, I want to stay in the I want to stay in the game in some capacity. But um, if someone asked me now, you know what I want? What do I want to have a crack at managing? Yeah, I could. I, we Ryan and I were talking before, and we we both assume that's probably what you would want to do. And we can I can fully imagine you're in that role. To be honest with you, and in terms of like. You know, there's there's obviously a lot of sort of we spoke with um we spoke with Robbie Simpson um this morning and he was talking about some of the issues that a lot of footballers have, you know, when they finish their career and you know, how to almost replicate, you know, not being in the game or not, not being a player anymore. Have you had any thoughts about like any worries or anything about when you're not not playing anymore, Steve? Um Yeah, you know, if if it sat here and said no, you know, I'd I'd be lying, do you know what I mean? It's just you know, it's at my age, you know, you you're only ever going to get a one year contract now. So, you no, know, the longer the season goes on, the later you're going to the season. You know, you do always. I'll be lying if I said it didn't cross my mind, but you know, you're always thinking, well, what happens if I don't get another club or I don't get a new contract? Well, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? You know, I haven't got you know thousands of pounds in the bank where I can go. Well, I'm going to be all right for the next year or two years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't worry. Do you know what I mean? You do worry. It's just, you know, I've got. You know, a good partner, a good missus, and that we always talk, and you know, we're trying to put things in place and stuff like that. But you know, she's very supportive, and you know, it's, we do speak about it. But you know, you do worry. It's, you know, I think it's more when you wake up every night and you can't get back asleep, and you've got like a million things running through your mind. You know what I mean? But um, you know, I'm quite relaxed about it. You know, as I said, I've got you know, I've got good family behind me and stuff like that. So you know, I'll always be alright. Welcome back. You're still listening to Man Marking. I am joined still by the the effervescent duo Ryan and Ant. Obviously, just heard Steve's interview there. Ant, what was the sort of biggest thing that you took away from listening to Steve? Uh, I liked how honest he was. Really, to be honest, and I I, I liked the yeah. I, I don't think you get that a lot from from you know I, you know he's still a current footballer as well, so it's difficult for them to come out and talk and tell you the you know, how, how everything's gone and, and, you know, stuff that happens in, like, change rooms. And it's stuff that you really want to know. Um, but I, I did really like how honest he was. One of the things that I picked up on was the the way he said, you know, he, he has opened up as, as it, you know, his time's gone on in the game. And, you know, he obviously went through the, the situations that he's gone through. And what I kind of took away from that was when he said there probably was someone at Tranmere to, to talk to. And, you know, football clubs get such a hammer and I think, you know, we might be a little bit guilty of it ourselves, you know, being a bit suggestive about them not looking after players, which has definitely happened. There's no no getting away from that. But to know that uh, a little well, National League, League Two club would have had someone there for him to talk to at that time, uh, you know, about the things that he's going through is, is really comforting and, and it's excellent. And I, I imagine... and there does seem to be a, a shift towards creating environments where these players are comfortable. Yeah. These, these players are able to go and go and say these things. And it's a big thing at the moment with, with obviously, you know, United's issues with, with Mason Greenwood. There's, 
you know, and, and other players as well. It's um, it's comforting. I asked the, the one thing I took from it, and you know, Steve McNulty said, you know, I didn't really need to. I didn't want to. You know, that's fine. But as long as that environment's there for him to be able to do that, that's that's what ultimately what what we want and what fans want and what players want is, yeah. is that structure. So I think that was the one thing I, I really took from it. And, and, you know, he's just a, just a nice guy as well, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Do you know what, do you know what, Ant? Uh, going into this interview and we, we obviously we've, we've done sort of 65, 70 interviews over the last sort of best part of 12 months now. And I think there is an element of, of nervousness that, that, that you get before going into them because, Often you're speaking to people who you kind of have respect for, or have you know seen playing football, or doing that, doing whatever it is that they're doing. So there's that element of it. There's also the element of you're doing these Zoom calls with people who you don't know. But when we go on with someone like Steve, who's genuinely a real hero of all of ours, there was a level of nervousness that's probably heightened when you're going into it. And he just, I think, I think Ryan, you'd agree, he kind of put us at ease very early on, a little few little jokes here and there, and what have you, and. You know, he, he was great. He was really good value. And it was just a really fun evening speaking to him. And as you say, and really honest. And that thing about the club, you know, we did the interview with Mark and Nicola. And I think, you know, we're obviously all biased because we're Tramier fans. But we'd like to think that Tram is a club that, that, that cares about the people within it, cares about its community, cares about its fans. And they kind of set that tone early on for people. And that's what it's about, top down, setting the, the tone and the you know the atmosphere that the people are cared about and that's a, a big big part of it for for football clubs ryan same question to you then mate what was your biggest takeaway from from that chat with steve yeah you both alluded to it slightly and i think i mentioned it to you after it dan it was a humbling experience to tell you the truth um i probably got carried away talking a lot about football with him and asking him specific questions around certain moments in his career or certain things that went on at tramia and when I got to sort of sit back and, and listen to you talk to him, and I think at that point, myself and you had both relaxed a little bit, Dan, he probably relaxed a bit, and yes, saw and listened to a side of Steve that I've never heard anywhere else, and rightly or wrongly, he's quite a private man, I think, and he doesn't do too many interviews, I think he's done a few more since he's left Tranmere, and got to see a lot more of that human side. I mean, we're all guilty of just saying, oh, he's this tough centre-half from Boothall, who might not show his emotion in this and that, but he, he cares just as much as anyone else does. He's He's got a family like everybody else does. He works for, as a footballer and as a living like everyone else does. It's it's easy for us to just, say, categorise these people as almost being emotionless because we see them for 90 minutes on a Saturday. And you got to see the other side of Steve, and I think, I think it might have been helpful for him to come out and say those things and equally mm. for other people to hear them as well. And, and that's exactly why we do the podcast. And I think, as you touched on before, it probably did mean a little bit more to us because he's somebody who for four odd years we we watched and we, we loved and was a part of our part of our team that has probably been the greatest team in terms of success in, in our era. I mean since the Johnny King days, myself, you and Ant, we didn't have, a, apart from maybe League Cup final when I think I was eight and you both were about six or seven. That period from then till now, there's been nothing much for Tramia to, to celebrate at all. We've had the odd cup run, we had one playoff finish um, and we had two back-to-back relegations. So when we say footballs mean a lot to us, it, it might sound a little bit dramatic, but they genuinely do. 
mm. and to have somebody who you look up to and you, you pay to watch on a Saturday open up to you like you've never heard before you are humbled by it you do go away and you think wow what a what a great guy and he didn't need to do that no we don't pay anyone to come on the show we just ask for the time and the, and the honesty and that's that's all we we want and when you get it back it, it is it is a, a lovely feeling and I was just proud to, to to be on the call to tell you the truth yeah 100 percent. I think you've uh, I think you've both very well covered a lot there lads and yeah, I don't think there's anything more to say at this point. One thing I would like to 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 drop in was, uh, you will have heard us mention that uh, Ant and I, and more so Ant than me, are growing moustaches for Movember. Um, this interview came about due to a friend of ours, uh, Danny DeBrabs, who's doing some amazing work with his charity team, DDB. So you can... Um, find them on Twitter and find them on Facebook. And we'll, we'll put a little link to them as well. Um, but Danny got his in touch with, with Steve after Steve uh, agreed to do a little video for him for Team DDB last year. Uh, and we'll we'll post some stuff up on, on the socials for that as well. We're also doing some running as well, Dan. Well, you are. Yeah. 60 kilometres uh, in the month. Um, so I think we're at about 30 now. Um, probably a bit more by the time this is coming out. Uh, so it, it's you know it's challenging, but it's it's really nice to to go out at the time. You know we're doing this, we're in lockdown, can't really see anyone. You can only really see any people out, outside. So um, it's been really good to to go and and do it. And I've been doing it with my brother, and he he said how many times he keeps texting me. I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying this. So <laughs> it, it's it it is nice. And I I think for anyone listening who's thinking about running, the hardest step is literally the going for a run that first run is the hardest thing you'll do and I, I do agree with it because there's plenty of times where you sat there and gone oh it's raining or it's oh it's windy or the it's not quite right i haven't got the right shoes my clothes aren't right and just just get out do it and it'll change it and you'll feel so much better for it and it doesn't matter about time or or anything like that just get out and run as long as you as long as you you're doing it you're doing something good yeah, 100% and very good message. I've got my x-ray on Tuesday, so as soon as I find out I haven't got serious bone damage to my knee, then I'll probably get out and do some light <laughs> light jogging as well, see if I can eat into that 60k, um, which seems ambitious at this point. Um, but yeah, lads, thanks for your time today. As always, it's been a pleasure. Um, you've been listening to Man Mark, and you can find us on Twitter at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use the hashtag, where's the talking, lads? And uh, yeah, we're going to leave you with Steve's quickfire, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Is there anyone from the game you've played with that you'd think, if I got a gaffer's job tomorrow, I'd want him to be my assistant? No, it's not to be fair. Garno's always on my honest. He's like, Garno's at Sammy. If you're going to manage your job, you've got to take me with you. As you're <laughs> <laughs> I think it's tough. the furniture, Sammy. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it, mate? There's no one that stands out, do you know what I mean? But I think it just depends on what age you go into management because if you go into management at a younger age, I think it's better to have someone more experienced around you, do you know what I mean? As an assistant, that's, you know, maybe being a, being a, a coach or a manager at the time who he will come on board and help you, do you know what I mean? So I think I was able to get a job at try and get someone who was a lot more experienced to me in, in the environment that, you know, you could rub off on or lean on when you needed to. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Someone someone who always strikes me, I don't know why, is someone who'd do well in coaching is Jay Harris. Yeah. He's, he's like a very smart fellow. Yeah, he's, he's another one, mate. He's a winner, isn't he? You know, you've, yeah. you know, I can't believe that time he didn't, didn't give him a deal, to be honest with you for this season and, and keep him because 
Uh, I've watched a lot of games and you're missing you're missing the Giles in midfield, Joe. You was missing the Giles in midfield, you know what I mean? That somebody would get round, he's a winner, you know, he's he's good in the dressing room, he'll keep the lads together, you know what I mean? So I was very surprised when, when he didn't resign, Jay. Yeah, I think so as well. And sometimes you can you can change too much, can't you? And you're best going with what you know you're gonna get. And I think there, there was a bit of that in the summer whereby you know, we're going to get a hundred percent from from Jay. So even if you're worried that you're going up in level, you still can't replicate someone who's going to work as hard as he did. And he, he as you say, he's absolute winner. He was he was brilliant for us. Yeah, he's a great football as well. I think people you know underestimate how, how good of a footballer he is as well. Do you know what I mean? He, you know, he's a very good footballer. You know, he was he was no more for you know getting stuck in and running around and stuff. But you know, he he was a very good footballer as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I heard Norwood saying that in an interview when he was asked like he was the best in training and stuff. He he's just said that uh, Harris was unbelievable, like ball at his feet as well as the physical side of the game. Like, but, did Norwood yeah. say he's the worst trainer? Yeah, because he was shite. <laughs> <laughs> he just seems like someone who's a constant wind-up merchant who just like needs to calm down, like a kid who's had sweets. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't couldn't trap a bag of cement, cement him like. <laughs> Just used, to, just used to chase Chris Packett into the corner, let me tell you. Running child in five-a-side games and that. Like, he used to say to him, what are you doing? Like, no one kicks it long in five-a-side. Um, best player you've played with and best player you've played against? Best player I've played with? Oh, um, Obviously not Norwood. No, he's shite. He may be bottom of the pile, Norwood. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Lee Fowler. And best player I've played against? Um, some young nippy centre forward that I used to have to chase around. I don't know. Um, <laughs> not sure. I'm not. Don't know about that one. What was your most memorable moment as a player, Steve? Um, you know what? I've had <laughs> I've had numerous promotions. They're all good for. They're all you know always sit sit well with me. You know for different reasons. You know, but um, probably the promotion at Wembley to League One for Tramia. You know because I'd had you know tough back end of the season stuff and they didn't expect to come on and play and you know come on and play and we got promoted so probably that one yeah do you have a, a favourite ground you've played at and a, a ground you hated playing at um, I used to hate going to Yolf because every time I played there I got sent off so that's the way <laughs> absolutely miles away as well yeah Um, probably kind of worth road yeah it was compact it was always sold out yeah probably kind of worth road yeah Trammy fans are going to hate me for saying that, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> we'll dub it over, Steve, and say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you remember that Ebbsweet semi-final before the uh, the Bourbon World game? There's a bit of a mix-up between Richie Sutton and Scott Davis for the, the second goal. And we we spoke to Scott Davis that night. I think we were hammered in Birkenhead somewhere. And he was convinced it was Sutton's error. Who, who do you think was wrong there? Scotty. <laughs> 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 he said to us, he was going here. Uh, he said, Steve would have just got rid of that ball, but Sutton is absolutely pissing around with it on the edge of the box. <laughs> oh, Kinell, he's good for one of them mind keepers away, Scott. You let me tell you, it was definitely his fault. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the best manager you played under, Steve? It's a toss up between John Still and Mickey Mellon, but I've probably been more successful with Mickey, so um, you'd have to, you'd probably have to say Mickey Mellon. There was a story about Mellon throwing a, a radio out, out of a Fleetwood coach or something as it was on the motorway. Was that true? Was you on that coach? Um, 
I think it was Gareth Seddon. I don't know if you were there at the time or not. He said that you were basically promoted or something. And uh, you only know, a few games left and he just were all having a lap on the coach and he just threw it out the window, basically saying, like, keep your standards high. We haven't done it yet or something. No, I can't remember. I would have been on the coach, but I don't ever remember that. I mean, no. No, oh, he's probably lying, really. Sounds a good story, anyway. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember what happened yesterday, mate, so sometimes you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Gazza was the person you pretended to be growing up. You're quite good with the ball. You feet. Ever, ever fancy playing in front of the back four in midfield? Um, I think you think you can play there, you know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> I'm not sure they got round the pitch enough to, to play there, you know what I mean? But um, as the game developed, you know, we... He was everyone. You centre half touched the ball. You know, the, all the attack starts with centre half. But um, I'd have probably shouldn't like to play centre forward more than centre midfield. Like you know, we scored a world yeah, try me once for Luton where you broke from a corner. Do you remember that? I know you've just said your memory's not great, but I was watching that on YouTube before. <laughs> yeah. The lad, the lads out wide and should slot it in, and he takes two or three too many touches, and the ball goes out. I was at Prenton Park that way, innit? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, because. That was the season that Sammy got relegated, weren't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Jennings has the ball on the edge of the box and I think he tries to play a 1-2 with Jake Cassidy and then you took it off the pair of them. I don't think I've ever seen you move that quick, Steve. You actually <laughs> flying through the middle of the pitch. And I, and I was watching it and I do remember it from the time and, and the lads, it was just, I was just thinking, slot it in and he's taken too many touches and it, get, it breaks away. I'd have been fuming if I'd travelled that far up the pitch. And not <laughs> I get one of them, I get one of them a game. I'm sure <laughs> at the time, I'm sure we were, I don't know whether we, we could have made the playoffs we needed to win and I think the bench was screaming to me, where are you going, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> um, at half time in that Bournemouth Wood final, Steve, obviously we're, we're down to ten men. All the th- all the three subs have been used. What 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 did Mickey say at our time? What was what was the chat in the in the dressing room? It's just you know we just had a game plan. You just stick to the game plan. Do you know what I mean? It's like we will get a chance. So you know, just stick to the game plan. Don't come off the game plan. You know, we we said that we were going to sit in and and sign it them on the break. You know what I mean? And and that's what we did end up doing. Like I just thought when they went down to ten men, they sort of played into our own hands. Do you know what I mean? They were, they went from back to front too early for me. Yeah. You know, we played against them a few months before and they were good football inside. But when they were, when we went down to them, they seemed to lump it forward, you know what I mean, trying to get in behind us. But we were sat too deep for them to do that. You know, we were going to sit in and, you know, absorb the pressure and then hopefully nick one on, on the break. And then if not, you know, we were happy enough to sit in and then, you know, take it to penalties. But lucky enough, we, you know, we scored and, you know, hit them on the break. It was almost, I felt like the, the red cards almost, because it, it put all the pressure on them then at that point, didn't it? And, and it kind yeah. of gave that, made them have to come and play, and I think they, they struggled a little bit at that point. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I thought they struggled. I thought they did struggle when, when, as I said, when we went down to ten men, and you know all the emphasis was on them, you know, to, to try and break us down. And you know, I don't think they had the answer. So, you know, it was job done. To be fair, I know it's uh, impossible to say, but do you think if we steamroll them with eleven on the pitch, because they just looked like a team that was just not going to lose that day. You know what? It's a tough one. You never know what can happen. You know what I mean? I think it's just on the day. You know, we can sit here now and say, "Yeah, we were just steamrolling," but we'd played them a few months before away from home, and, and they absolutely toyed with us. They battered us. We couldn't get near them. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but as you say, you know, we'd had the experience the year before. You know, we did lose and, and stuff like that. But we'd had the experience of being there and you know playing on the big stage and playing in the playoff final. So, you know, 
I think we had the better advantage than them. Do you know what I mean? Because we've been here the year before. Funniest shout you've ever had from the crowd? I'm not sure, mate. I'm not sure, mate. You know, I don't, I don't know. I've been, there's nothing has been said to me, and nothing has been called, mate. Do you know what I mean? But um... I did like it when you gave the oldest off fan the three, the three nil a few years back. I've never seen you react to a crowd apart from that one time. <laughs> not to me, because it went out into it. I think I let it go out for a goal kick and you're getting abused in the corner. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> Battering them 3 0, do you know what I mean? And you're like, just get yourselves on, will you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You were talking about um, Danny, Danny DeBrabs before, and the uh, you did the, the video obviously as part of their, their Movember challenge. What was your uh, assessment of the, the mustaches on show? Absolute bastards, they all were. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It's funny because I never ever met him or he just contacted me over Instagram, you know, that's the only social media thing I'm on is Instagram and he contacted me over that and asked, told me there was a load of Sammy fans doing it and then, you know, would I, would I do a video? So, uh, you know, it was for the good cause and stuff like that and as I said before, I'm, you know, I'm glad to see him, he's, you know, he's getting over it and he's doing well and he's healthy. And the last one from us, mate, um, been in quite a few dressing rooms and we always hear stories of terrible music being played. What player had the worst taste in music? Scotty Davis. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like a surprise. Eminem he used to stand in the mirror before the before we used to go out and sing sing one of the, one of his songs to himself in the mirror. Lose yourself. Flipping his Bobby Charlton fringe back as well. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I'm like, um, that's all of our questions, Steve. I just want to say again, thanks so much for your time this evening, mate. It's been it's been brilliant, and. Uh, we genuinely like really appreciate you you giving up giving up your even even if you were just getting out of putting a fence up. It's uh, massive. Uh, no, it's only halfway up, mate. You know what I mean? You <laughs> <laughs> have to get a proper joining in tomorrow to sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Thanks so much, Steve. No problem, mate. Cheers, Steve. You Cheers, take Steve. care. All the best moving Thank forward, mate. See you later. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Obviously, tops on underneath their shirts. Gutchins jumps over the ball and Lawless will curl on in, looking for Benson at the far post, headed up by Southport. Nolte's underneath it with a shot, what a goal! What a goal from Steve McNulty from full 30, 25, 30 yards out. He's just hit it first time as it's been headed clear and he's volleyed it into the back of the net, looping the keeper Hurst. Steve McNulty take a foul, that's Tekka's son. Tollett's going to take the corner then, left-hand side. Two-headed goals. Got the points here. Last festive period from McNulty and a hit great. Towards the near post. McNulty has yes! scores again. He scored last season here and he scored again the big central defender. Captain McNulty puts Tranmere ahead. The corner by Tollett, the header by McNulty. 11 minutes in, it's Macclesfield nil, Tranmere 1. Oh, look, it's a decent ball in it, really is a decent ball. But not, he's not the, he can't really leap, Derek, but the, pro, the problem there for the Macclesfield backline is... Jennings will take it. Right-hand side. Pulls the ball in towards the near post, keeper. Almost got there, but Nulti scores! And Stratton will Jennings with the corner. The keeper couldn't get there against the bodies. And Stephen Nulti on the volley, with his right foot, into the room of the net. Ten minutes left here, it's Tranmere 2-0-2-1.